Oh, that was so nice. That was something else. Oh. When I was a young girl in China, my grandmother told me my mother was a ghost. This did not mean my mother was dead. In those days, a ghost was anything we were forbidden to talk about. So I knew Paul Paul wanted me to forget my mother on purpose. And this is how I came to remember nothing of her. The life that I knew began in the large house in Ningpo with the small hallways and tall stairs. This was my uncle and auntie's family house where I live with Pawpaw and my little brother. But I often heard stories of a ghost who tried to take kid children away, especially strong-willed little girls who were disobedient. Many times, Pawpaw also said aloud to all who could hear that my brother and I had fallen out of the bowels of a stupid goose. Yeah, two eggs that nobody wanted. Not even good enough to crack over rice porridge. She said this so that the ghosts would not steal us away. So, you see, to Papa, we were also very precious. All my life, Papa scared me. I became even more scared when she grew sick. This was like 1923, when I was nine years old. Papa had swollen up like an overripe squash, so full her flesh had gone soft and rotten with a bad smell. She would call me into her room with a terrible stench and tell me stories. Anne, she said calling me by my school name. Listen carefully. She told me stories I could not understand. One was about, oh, a greedy girl whose belly grew fatter and fatter. This girl poisoned herself, refusing to say whose child she carried. When the monks cut open her body, they found inside a large white winter melon. <laughs> if you are greedy, what is inside you is what makes you always hungry, said Papa. Another time, Papa told me about a girl who refused to listen to her elders. One day, this bad girl shook her head so vigorously to refuse her auntie's simple request that a little white ball fell from her ear and out poured all of her brains. Yeah, as clear as chicken broth. Your own thoughts are so busy swimming inside that everything else gets pushed out. Papa told me that. Right before Papa got so sick, she could no longer speak. She pulled me close and talked to me about my mother. Never say her name, she warned me. 
to say her name is to spit on your father's grave. The only father I knew was a big painting that hung in the main hall. He was a small, unsmiling man, unhappy to see so still on the wall. His restless eyes followed me around the house. Even from my room at the end of the hall, I could see my father's watching eyes. Papa said he watched me for, my si for any sign of disrespect. So sometimes when I had thrown pebbles at other children at school or had lost a book through carelessness, I would quickly walk by my father with a know-nothing look and hide in a corner of my room where he could not see my face. I felt our house was so unhappy, but my little brother did not seem to think so. He rode his bicycle through the courtyard, chasing chickens and other chicken, laughing over which ones shrieked the loudest. Inside the house, it was so quiet. He jumped up and down at uncle and auntie's best feather sofas when they were away visiting village friends. But even when my brother's happiness went away, one hot summer day when Papa was already very sick, we stood outside watching a village funeral procession, procession marching by our courtyard. Just as it had passed our gate, a heavy framed picture of the dead man toppled from a stand and fell into the dusty ground. An old lady screamed and fainted. My brother laughed and auntie slapped him. My auntie, who had a very bad temper with children, told him he had no sow, no respect for ancestors or family, just like your mother. Auntie had a tongue like hungry scissors eating silk cloth. So, when my brother gave her a sour look, Auntie said our mother was so thoughtless, she had fled north in a big hurry without taking the dowry furniture from her marriage to my father, without bringing her 10 pairs of silver chopsticks, without paying respect to my father's grave and those of our ancestors. When my brother accused Auntie of frightening our mother away, Auntie shouted that our mother had married a man named Wu Xing, who already had a wife, two concubines, and other bad children. And when my brother shouted that Auntie was talking chicken without a head, <laughs> was a talking chicken without a head, right? You understand? Back then when they used to cut chickens and they run around without their head. You ever seen that? I haven't seen it, but... Anyway, she tells me about it. She pushed my brother against the gate and spat on his face. Mm -hmm. You throw strong words at me, but you are nothing, Auntie would say. You are the son of a mother who has so little respect. She has become a, a traitor to her ancestors. She is so beneath others that even the devil must look down to see her. This is when I began to understand the stories Papa taught me, the lessons I had to learn from my mother. When you face your, when you lose your face, Ame, 
Papa often would say, "It is like dropping your necklace down a well. The only way you can get it back is to fall in after it." Now I could imagine my mother, a thoughtless woman who laughed and shook her head, who dipped her chopsticks many times to eat another piece of sweet fruit, happy to be free of Papa. Her unhappy husband on the wall, and her two disobedient children. I felt unlucky that she was my mother, and unlucky that she had left us. These were the thoughts I had while hiding in the corner of my room, where my father could not watch me. Section, section cut. Cut it. Section break. I was sitting at the top of the stairs when she arrived. I was born with Sanditha. Sports taught me that it could before. I knew it was my mother, even though I had seen her in my memory. She stood just inside the doorway, so that her face became a dark shadow. She was much taller than my auntie, almost as tall as my uncle. She looked strange too, like the missionary ladies at our school, who were insolent and bossy in their too tall shoes and foreign clothes and short hair. My auntie quickly looked away and did not call her by name or offer her a tea. <laughs> An old servant hurried away with a. Displeased look. I tried to keep very still, but my heart felt like crickets scratching to get out of a cage. My mother must have heard because she looked up. When she did, I saw my own face looking back at me, eyes that stayed wide open and saw too much. In Papa's room, my auntie protested, "Too late! Too late!" As my mother approached the bed, but this did not stop my mother. Come back, stay here," murmured my mother to Papa. "Nior is here. Your daughter is back." Papa's eyes were open, but now her mind ran in many different directions, not staying too long enough to see anything. If Papa's mind had been clear, she would have raised her two arms and flung my mother out of the room. I watched my mother. Seeing her face for the first time, this pretty woman, with her white skin and oval face, not too round like Auntie's or sharp like Papa's, I saw that she had long white neck, just like the goose that had laid me. She seemed to float back and forth like a ghost. Dipping cool cloths to lay on Papa's bloating face, 
As she peered into Papa's eyes, she clucked softly worried sounds. <sighs> I watched her carefully, yet it was her voice that confused me, a similar f sound from a forgotten dream. When I returned to my room later that afternoon, she was there, standing tall. And because I remember Papa told me not to speak her name, I, I stood there, mute. She took my hand and led me to the settee. And then she also sat down as though we had done this every day. My mother began to loosen my braids and brush my hair with long, sweeping strokes. Anmei, you have been a good daughter? She asked, smiling a secret look. I looked at her with my know-nothing face, but inside I was trembling. I was a girl whose belly held a colorless winter melon. Anmei, you know who I am? She said with a small scold in her voice. This time I did not look for fear. My head would burst and my brains would dribble out of my ears. She stopped brushing and I could feel her long, smooth fingers rubbing and searching for my chin, stopping, finding the spot that was my smooth neck scar. As she rubbed this spot, I became very still. It was as though she were rubbing the memory back into my skin. And then her hand dropped and she began to cry. Wrapping her hands around her own neck, she cried with a wailing voice that was so sad. And then I remembered the dream with my mother's voice. story. When I was four years old, my chin was just above the dinner table and I could see my baby brother sitting on Papa's lap, crying with an angry face. I could hear voices praising a steaming dark soup brought to the table voices woman i'm willing to do anything for you murmuring politely 
请，请，那请，请，请，请，请。Meaning, please eat. No, you eat. No, you eat. No, you eat. And then the talking stopped. My uncle rose from his chair. Everyone turned to look at the door, where a tall woman stood. I was the only one who spoke. Ma! I had cried, rushing off my chair, but my auntie slapped my face and pushed me down. Now everyone was standing up and shouting, and I heard my mother's voice crying, "Anne, Anne!" Above this noise, Papa's shrill voice spoke, "Who is this ghost? Not an honored widow, just a number three concubine. If you take your daughter, she will become like you, no face." Never able to lift up her head. Still, my mother shouted for me to come. I remember her voice so clearly now. Ame, ame, she cried. I could see my mom's face across the table. Between us stood the soup pot on its heavy chimney pot stand. Rocking softly back and forth, and then, with one shout, this dark, boiling soup spilled forward and fell all over my neck. It was though everyone's anger were pouring all over me. It was a kind of pain so terrible. That a little child could never remember it, should never remember it. But it is still in my skin's memory. I cried out loudly, only a little, because soon my flesh began to burst inside and out, and cut off my breathing air. I could not speak because of the. Terrible choking feeling. I could not see because of all the tears that poured out to wash away the pain. I could hear my mother's crying voice. Papa and Auntie were shouting, and then my mother's voice went away. Later that night, Papa's voice called to me. Came to me, Anne. Listen carefully. Her voice had the same scolding tone she used when I ran up and down the hallway. <laughs> Anne, we have made your dying clothes and your shoes for you. They are all white cotton. I listened, scared. Anne, she murmured, now more gently. Your dying clothes are very plain. They are not fancy. Because you are still a child. If you die, 
you have a short life, and you will still owe your family a debt. Your funeral will be very small. Your morning time, our morning time, for you, will be very short. And then Papa said something that was worse than the burning on my neck. Even your mother has used up her tears and left. If you do not get well soon, she will forget you. Papa was very smart. I came hurrying back from the other world to find my mother. Every night I cried so that both my eyes and my neck burned. Next to my bed sat Papa. She would pour cool water on my neck from the hollow cup. Of a large grape fruit, she would pour and pour until my breathing became soft, and I could fall asleep. In the morning, Papa could use her sharp fingernails like tweezers and peel off the dead membranes. In two years' time, my scar became pale and shiny, and I had no memory of my mother. That is the way it is with a wound. The wound begins to close on itself, to protect what is hurting so much, and once it is closed, you no longer see what is underneath. What started the pain? I worship this mother from my dream, but the woman standing by Papa's bed was not the memory, was not the mother of my memory. Yet I came to love this mother as well, not because she came to me and begged me to forgive her. She did not. She did not need to explain to Papa. She did not need to explain that Papa chased her out of the house when I was dying. This I knew. She did not need to tell me she married Wu Sheng to exchange one unhappiness. For another, I knew this very well. I knew this as well. Here is how I came to love my mother. How I saw in her my own true nature. What was beneath my skin, inside my bones. It was late at night 
when I went to Papa's room. My auntie said it was Papa dying time, and I must show respect. I put on a clean dress and stood between my auntie and uncle at the foot of Papa's bed. I cried a little, not too much. I saw my mother on the other side of the room, quiet and soft and sad. She was cooking a soup, pouring herbs and medicines into the steaming pot. And then I saw her pull up her sleeve and pull down a sharp knife. She put this knife in the softest part of her arm. I tried to close my eyes, but I could not. And then I put my mother, and then I saw my mother cut a piece of meat from her arm. Tears poured down from her face, and blood spilled to the floor. My mother took her flesh and put it in the soup. She cooked magic in the ancient tradition to try to cure her mother this one last time. She opened Papa's mouth, already too tight from trying to keep her spirit in. She fed her this soup, but that night Papa flew away with her illness. Even though I was young, I could see the pain of the flesh. And the worth of the pain. This is how a daughter honors her mother. It is the soul, so deep. It is in your bones. The pain of the flesh is nothing. Pain you must forget, because sometimes that is the only way to remember what is in your bones. You must peel off your skin and that of your mother, and your mother before her, until there is nothing, no scar. No skin, no flesh. Yes, that.